our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Well, before we get started today, uh, we're in a season where there are uh, people PCSing, coming in and going out, and we have a couple that is going to be leaving, uh, going to the East Coast, Corey and Debbie Benfield. Um, give them a hand. They have been such amazing <laughs> leaders. Um, Debbie, seeing how you're leading life groups and connecting with the women that are in there, giving them purpose, giving them hope, giving them love has been amazing to see. There are women who are here today and those real, real stories that you know that wouldn't be here today if it weren't for God working through you. So thank you, Debbie. And Corey, seeing how God has worked through your life and transformed you, uh, just to out Corey a little bit, when he, when he started reading the Bible, we were talking about some things, and he was like, I don't know much, but I just read this today. And uh, just to see that eagerness of, I haven't read the whole thing, but, but man, I read this, and this is good. Uh, that is so powerful, and that is speaking to so many men, and it's going to continue as you guys get back to your new home and get to be there. You're going to continue to transform lives and be the great parents that you are. So I just want to pray for you guys. You've been such a blessing here, and God has worked through you tremendously. So if you guys would, uh, they're right here. You guys can even stand up. Would you mind just standing up where you're at so we can pray for you? Uh, stand up. If you just extend your hands, it's just a sign of agreement as we pray. Um, God, we thank you so much for the Benfield family. We ask that you would be with them, that you would guide them, that you would anoint them, that you would bless them as they continue to walk in your purpose, as they head out to the East Coast, that you would be with them through all of the traveling and all of the packing. And we know that just brings the family so close together when you pack together, praise God. Uh, but God, give them peace with one another, joy in you, and hope forever. In your name we pray. Amen. Give them a hand. Thank you so much. Thank you. You may be asking why we pray, why we do things like that. Well, it's because we believe there's power in prayer. It reminds me, I can't help but think of prayer without thinking of Dr. Helen Rosevere, as I shared a little earlier. She was a missionary in the Congo, and she was a doctor, and so she loved telling people about Jesus while doing it through the medical field. And she would open up orphanages, she would open up uh, different areas, birthing centers. And there was one day when this woman that was giving birth prematurely, she came into this birthing center. And in her, in her right hand was her eight-year-old daughter, and as she was getting ready to have another so Dr. Helen brings her into the room. She sits down in the room. She's telling her about Jesus. This young this lady gives, says yes to Jesus as she's giving birth. And unfortunately, throughout this tragic pregnancy, the mother passed away on the table, leaving the eight-year-old daughter there. And Dr. Helen looks up to God and says, God, I don't know what you're doing, but please be in this. So she begins to pray. She looks at the eight-year-old daughter and says, well, your baby sister is here. We need hot water. We don't have any more hot water. We're, we're all out of the hot water bottles that keep the water really hot. We're all out, and we don't know what we're going to do, but we need hot water. We need it today. Tomorrow is going to be too late. Would you mind praying with me? So this eight-year-old girl, as she sees her lifeless mother, prays, God, it's tough without my mom already. I'm going to miss her. I know that you won't miss me. God, we need hot water today. Tomorrow is going to be too late. 
And I think my new baby sister is going to want a doll too, just to keep her happy. Amen. She prays. Dr. Helen gets a knock on her door of the room. They say, hey, I don't know why, but we got a shipment today. It's just one box. It's not anything we were expecting. Maybe just open it together. Dr. Helen's thinking of this eight-year-old girl who just is looking at her new sister is premature and needs desperate help. And says, maybe this will help her just to kind of open up a gift like it's Christmas morning. So she said, why don't you open up this gift with me? So they tear the tape off. They open it up together. And there's some books and some toys sitting on top. And they go through it. And the young girl's kind of excited. And then they see on top, of, after all the toys are pulled off, is this hot water bottle. And she looks. She looks up at Dr. Helen, and she throws the hot water bottle because she's like, no, there's a doll in there. And she keeps going, and she looks, and sure enough, there was a doll. This eight-year-old girl and Dr. Helen and the rest of the women in that birthing center understood the power of prayer. In fact, there was a group of women who were meeting on, on the other side of the world in the U.S., and they were praying on, a, on an early Saturday morning, they were saying, God, we want to send this gift to Dr. Helen and all the work that she's doing in this missionary group. It's amazing. God, what gifts do they need? We're going to put books. We're going to put toys in there. What do they need? And one of the ladies speaks up, I think we're supposed to put a hot water bottle. Everyone's like, really? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, also a doll? I'm going to go to the store and get a doll. I know it doesn't make sense, but I feel like it's the Lord. Okay, okay. Sounds weird in the moment. But a few weeks earlier, they prayed, they sealed up the box and sent it over to the Congo using the postal service, praise the Lord. And it got there on time the same day that this eight-year-old girl prayed because they needed it. And God used people, as Pastor Kamar said, that's what he does in our lives. He speaks through the people and transforms lives. That eight-year-old girl, the rest of the women in the Congo, Dr. Helen, they understood something that we should understand out of the book of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. It says, now to him, speaking of God himself, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us. This is central to everything we believe. If we don't believe this piece about all that God is, that he can do immeasurably more. What does the word immeasurably mean in the Greek? Immeasurably. You can't measure it. You can't even begin to understand it. I ask for something and God's like, I can do better than that. Just watch. If we understand that when we pray, we have connection with God, the kingdom of heaven, to bring his power to work within us, it changes everything. And if you're like me, you grew up thinking of the power of God, God sitting on a throne waiting to throw lightning bolts. No, his power is to benefit his people. He's waiting to hear from you. He's waiting to bless you. He's waiting to transform your life. He's waiting to bring heaven to earth. As we cry out, Lord, heaven come, he says, I got you. That's what we get to pray. Now, what if we truly started praying that way? Because I don't know about you, but I don't always pray in the confidence of that eight-year-old woman from the Congo. Sometimes I pray puny prayers, sheepish prayers. God doesn't want any puny prayers. We can pray strong. We can pray bold. We can truly pray that heaven would come to earth, that heaven would invade the earth. So how do I experience this type of life-transforming prayer where heaven comes to earth? Maybe you're wondering, how do you pray? Do you link your fingers? Do you close your eyes? I'm not sure what to do. Jesus actually models it for us. He walks us through in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. If you have your Bibles, would you open it up to Matthew chapter 6? Uh, if you're new to the Bible, you can open it up about halfway. You'll get to Psalms or Proverbs. Keep going over to your right. You'll get to Malachi, which is the last book of the New Old Testament, I'm sorry. And you'll get to Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. If you see Mark or Luke or John or Acts or Romans, you've gone too far. Keep going to your left. Uh, so we're in the book of Matthew. 
chapter 6. Jesus is still on the Sermon on the Mount. I showed you where he was. He's, in, he's near the Sea of Galilee. He's on the north end. And he's halfway up this mountain speaking to the people that are there. He's sitting down and everyone else is standing up so they don't fall asleep and pay attention. Praise the Lord. And then he says this. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. He's speaking of these other people. Not, not only just people that are living hypocritically outside of the will of God, he's talking about the religious people too. Don't pray like the hypocrites. They love to stand in synagogues. That's how they pray. On street corners to be seen by others. Prayer is not about being seen. It's about being known. And being known by the God of heaven who created you. He says, truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. There is nothing that the world has to offer that's worth what God wants to give you. What God gives us is so much better than what the world has to offer. He said these people walk out and they go outside in the synagogues and, and outside in the streets. There are about three times people would pray in this, in this time in the Jewish culture, morning, afternoon, and evening. And during the morning prayer, instead of being where they're at, they'd walk out and say, Oh God, I'm so amazed. I mean, you're so amazing. Lord, I just want to focus on you like these other people are all focusing on me. Everyone look at me. God said, they've already received their reward. They're all about performance. I'm teaching you that prayer is about communion. It's not performing. It's relationship. He goes on in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He said, I have a better reward. Verse 7, and when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. There are many people of different pagan beliefs that would believe they could pray to their gods, many polytheistic gods, that's many gods, we're monotheistic, there is one God, the God of the Bible, God of creator of the universe who changed everything for us. Uh, polytheistic gods, they pray to the God of the sea, oh, let the waves be great and let the blessings continue to come in. They pray to the God of the air, God of the air, let the wind be perfect so that my crops are great and my seeds would be scattered. A God of the mountain that you would be on the mountain and let the shade be able to cover. And they would just do all of this and they start to talk really, really loud and hope that they could hear them. God says, you don't have to do that. It's not about repetition when it comes to God's word. It's not about repetition. It's actually about sitting with God, experiencing him, and connecting with him. Not repeating, but connecting. He says, they think they'll be heard with their many words. Verse 8, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you even ask. So we should be asking, why does he have us ask then? If you're a parent, as a parent, why do you like to hear the voice of your kids? As a parent, why does it matter to you when your child is struggling with something, they come up to you and say, can you help me? As a parent, when you hear your child cry, what does it make you stop everything and say, who did what? Because you care. What you believe about the heart of the Father of God is directly connected to how we pray. So if you think God doesn't want to hear us, we're not going to pray. We think, as I said, he's before us, he's just on this throne ready to throw lightning bolts. He's sitting on the edge of his seat and saying, just speak to me, I'm ready. So Jesus goes on, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. So we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And if you grew up with the King James, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Come on. Amen. You know, you know. (laughs) Jesus says, pray this way. And, And what he shows us is prayer is set up in a certain way where it starts with adoration. God, you are good. Then to petition. God, here's what I need. And then it ends with adoration. God, you are always good, high and mighty above every other thing. Amen. God models, Jesus models for us what prayer could look like. And we miss the fact that he gives us this opportunity to depend on him and then allow our desires to be aligned with him. But if we miss this fact that he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think, we're just going to pray like, oh, God, you're good. All right, amen. God, uh, man, yeah, I really could use some more money. All right, amen. And he goes, do you remember who you're talking to? Bless you. Do you remember who you're talking to? He says, I want you to focus on me. In fact, that's how the prayer starts. It starts with our Father because Jesus wants us to understand that we have a perfect heavenly Father. No matter what our earthly father looked like, he is not the reflection but the perfection, as we often say. He is the perfect father. Maybe your father was absent. I've been there too. And God says, I am even better. Maybe your father was at every single event, every sport that you played, you look up into the stands and say, there they are. At every medal that you got, they were right there. When you got the honor roll, they were right there. When you ran for track, they were right there. And God is saying, I'm still better than that. You serve a perfect, amazing father. So when we pray, it's not just an expression of words, it's an experience of a relationship because we start with our father in heaven and I am here as your son here on earth, here as your daughter on earth. And this would have been radical for the people to hear it that were on this, during this time of the Sermon on the Mount. They would think, well, Old Testament father. I mean, we were in the wilderness and, and we were considered as Israel the sons of God and we messed up and we did everything wrong and we walked around for 40 years. I mean, is that the kind of father that we want? And Jesus says, yes, because he will correct you and lead you and love you as he does it. Because if God is first and most importantly father, then everything he does is fatherly compassion. And so when I pray, I know that he's ready to hear me. As Psalm 103 says, just as a father is compassionate, so is our God. And just as fatherly and motherly as we can be, you don't think God steps in and says, I'm even better? God wants to supply us with whatever we need. So he says, our father, that's how we start with him. You may be thinking, it's so hard for me to think that way because my dad wasn't there, things were difficult, and if I messed something or broke something up, I would never want to tell my dad. I know how that is. Uh, I was given a car to use, an 88 Hyundai Excel. It was awesome. It had a hole in the floor. I've told you about this before. I called it the trash can. And when something would break on the car, I would never want to call my dad because it was like, he's going to be angry. And so we take that bad theology into scripture and we think, oh, I can't talk to dad when I mess up because he's going to mess me up. Well, that's what religion says. Religion says, I messed up, my dad is going to kill me. Relationship says, I messed up, I can't wait to call my dad. I can't wait to talk to him. God, today was a tough day and I can't wait to talk to you. God, I messed up, I can't wait to talk to you. That's the kind of relationship he wants to have with you. And if that wasn't the family you grew up in, I have good news. You were born into a new family. And you have a new perfect heavenly father. And if he is father first, we have to remember that he has to remain first. Because God cannot be second in our lives. 
this prayer, Jesus goes on. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Sets him apart. He says, you know, he needs to be completely set apart because he's not going to be second in our lives. This This would make us and the people that were listening for the first time there on the Sermon on the Mount, they would think of the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. This would be God speaking. Have no other gods before me. Followed by the second, don't bow down to any other gods. Followed by the third, don't make an image of any other god. But many of us have other gods before God. You think, well, that's not me. The truth is, all of us worship something. I've seen bumper stickers that say things like, golf is life. Really? (laughs) You got to do better than that. I love golf. But life? No, the creator and the sustainer of all things, he is life. And we're all worshiping something. And if you want to see what you're worshiping or what your idol may be, that's that's a false god, what it may be, If you follow your dollar, you may find your idol. And if you follow your watch, you will find what you worship. Because time and money are often the things that we're willing to sacrifice to other gods. Follow your time. Follow your money. And God says, am I second in those areas? Because if if you're like me and maybe you worshiped money for, for some time in your life, you'd realize you always looked at your bank account and said, God, I will never have enough. And he said, because it's a false God. Maybe it was beauty and you did all the working out and you're trying to get all the muscles and be as strong as you can be. And you look in the mirror and you're like, God, I still have so much work to do. And he says, exactly, because beauty has become your idol and you're not going to be able to serve that God very long because you realize that it's going to let you down every single time. Or maybe it's power. If I just get that next, that next title or that next promotion, then I'll be able to worship God. But I got to get this first. I, then I can start doing Sunday mornings. But I got to focus on this area first. I got to do that. And then you get that promotion and you're still saying, God, is there something else to do? Is there another spot to reach? And he says, you're missing the point. You're never going to be satisfied if you're chasing after something other than God himself. God says, whether it's power, whether it's money, whether it's beauty, Maybe like me, you just chase after intellect sometimes. I just need another degree, another certificate. And you find yourself sitting down, writing an essay, and you realize how much you don't know. <laughs> and God says, don't worship your own mind. Worship the creator of all things. So we see, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is only found in scripture twice in the recording of the Lord's Prayer in the book of Mark and the recording of the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 11. And this word hallowed is actually uh, this, this idea, hagazio, is the Greek word. And when you see hagazio in those two areas, it's hallowed. Or you could say it hallowed, just like we say blessed or blessed. However, any other time you see the Greek word hagazio, it's actually all throughout scripture, it's defined and translated as sanctified, completely set apart for a perfect purpose. So God, I set you apart. And I don't know if you're like me, this is how we kind of do our lists when it comes to the God things or in just life things. All right, God, you're first, and then family, work, and work. And sometimes I mix those, work before family and work before God. But God, you're still on the list, and you're just on, he goes, no, I'm sanctified and completely set apart. You can't even put me on a list. There is nothing before me or after me. I'm on a separate, complete list. You can have your calendar, whatever it looks like, but I am God and I am in all of it and I am first in everything. There is nothing after me. I am first and only. I'm on a separate list. Don't even try to put me on that list, Marcus. I'm separate. Being sanctified is the opposite 
of profane. When we hear the word profane today, we think of evil things and bad things. The word profane uh, in the 18th century actually used to mean, and before, used to mean common. So he says, I am not common. Don't treat me as such. Don't try to fit me in in your schedule because I'm not common. I'm completely uncommon. I'm unfathomable. I'm indescribable. I am on a separate list and I'm so much better than anything you could ever dream of. And when you've placed these other items on this throne that I'm supposed to be on, he says, when you pray this way, hallowed be your name, I dethrone whatever is on that throne. Whether it's your pride dethroned, hallowed be your name, not mine, God. Hallowed be you, not my dollar, not my time, not my own personal talents, not my job. God, you and you alone. And he says, you want me on the throne because if you've had anything else on the throne, you've realized whatever it may be that you're struggling with, whatever that worship may be or whatever that idol may be, it's only costed you a little bit at first and it promises great blessings. However, you realize that the blessings are nothing and the cost becomes greater and greater. You, want, you don't want that run in your life. Let me sit on the throne of your heart and transform everything. Hallowed be the name of God above all else. And if he is father, and he is sanctified and holy and set apart. And I can be holy because he is holy. Which is a whole other message. We're not going to get into it. I need to invite him to truly lead. And invite his will into every area of my life. In my home. In my habits. In my heart. Let him change everything. If you're looking for the will of God and you haven't found it. Could it be. Because the fact is we can't experience the will of God until we surrender our own will. God, I want you to be in this as I go apply for this job. And he says, that wasn't my will for you to get that job. God, it was nine interviews and I didn't make it. He goes, I, I know, I could have saved you the time. <laughs> Surrender your own will and watch what he does. So we just sang it and we pray it as we continue. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. This is how we like to pray. God, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in my mind. He says, no, God, your kingdom come. Uh, that word come after kingdom, kingdom come, is not that his kingdom would be established just now. It's already established that his kingdom would continue and continue and continue to be present and resident and really elevant, elevated in your life. God, your kingdom come and your will be done. In fact, one of the oldest prayers we have for the first century and second century church is one word, Maranatha. Do you know what that word means? Come Lord Jesus. Why? Because God, we need you to rule. Because in our lives and in the earth today, we have temporary rulers who lead us astray. Maranatha in my home. Maranatha in my business. Maranatha in my finances. Maranatha in my neighborhood. Maranatha in your church, Lord. Come Lord Jesus and begin to change everything. I pray this prayer, uh, not only when I take my own time just to pause, uh, whatever it may be in my day, uh, but I like to pray even when I'm driving. My eyes are open. Um, my eyes are open. I like to pray when I'm driving, and I pray for you. In fact, every morning, uh, I do what I call a Jericho lap, and I run around uh, the church. As I, on my run, I run around the church. And I run around the church, and I pray for you. Because I believe that he can do immeasurably more than we could ask or think, and I've seen him do it in our lives. And I pray specific prayers. I pray for the Tag family. 
I pray that their lives would be changed forever and that their home would be known as a place that worships and lives for God himself. I pray that God would transform your life. We already prayed for the Benfields. I pray for the Young family. That God would be so lifted high in that household that the moment you walk in, all of the stress from the day, all of the anxiety, all of the pressures of trying to perform would completely be gone so that when you walk into your home, it's a family and a residence of hope. That's what I pray as I'm running and I'm out of breath. And I'm like, God, we pray for Rick and Genevieve Anderson, God, with the new baby. Oh, gosh. He's like, I hear you, Marcus, but slow down. You're breathing a lot. You can pray this wherever you're at. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Transform the lives around me. Because when his kingdom is present, his will is enacted. That's why you'll hear me pray sometimes if I'm praying for you and your family. And I'm right in front of you. I'll say things like, God, I ask that your will would be done and you would do what only you can do. Why? Because what I want him to do may not be his will. So I say, God, do what only you can do. Because if your name is honored, your kingdom is established, and you are truly the father, you will transform the situation in the best way for your kids. So do what only you can do. So maybe we begin to pray that way. Instead of focusing on my own kingdom, I say, God, your will be done. And why does it matter that we focus on his will? Because he's our father. He's set apart above all things. His kingdom is here and his will is present. Why does that matter? It's because he's our only provider. He truly is. There is no other provider in our lives. And you've trusted other people to provide for you, and they failed. You've trusted other things to provide for you, and they have failed. God is our only provider. It reminds me of the young boy who was at a diner with his mother. And they were having a meal, and the food came, and the mom said, "Uh, Son, would you mind praying? He said, Of course. He said, God, you're good. Thank you for the food. Thank you for the time with my mom. God, you're amazing, and my mom's amazing. You both would be more amazing if she got me ice cream. Amen. (laughs) Closes his prayer. Someone in the booth next to them said, that's what's wrong with the world. You got this young kid praying to a holy God for ice cream. So the young boy dejected just puts his head down. And the server comes up who heard him pray and he said, hey, it's okay, buddy. You can pray to God for ice cream because he hears you. And ice cream is good for the soul. A couple moments later, the server comes back. With the ice cream, the young boy asks for more hot fudge, so he puts hot fudge on it, more cream, and it's just huge, and he's like, look how good God is, and he gets his spoon, and he's ready to eat it, and then he stops. You can see his mind start to think. He picks it up and walks over to the other booth that had just yelled at him, and he placed the ice cream down, and he said, God hears me, and I just heard ice cream is good for the soul. My soul is good already. And then walks away. For him, he knew that he could pray to a holy God. And he could do immeasurably more than he could ask or think. All the hot fudge, all the whipped cream, whatever it was. Sometimes we forget that God cares about even those kind of prayers. And if he truly is our provider, that he could transform everything. When we pray, give us today our daily bread. We're saying, God, because you're the only one who can give it to me. And why should we pray this daily? Because I don't know about you, as Jesus would go on in the scripture, he would say, don't worry about tomorrow. How many of us have difficulty with that? I do, all the time. Wake up at two o'clock in the morning worrying about things that you said before and the things that are going to be tomorrow. I'm like, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh Jesus, I got that meeting going on. Oh, and then there's that bill. 
and the water pipe just broke. Oh, praise the Lord. (sighs) Yeah, God, so I don't know how that's going to happen. And he's like, you haven't prayed about it. I'm like, I'm complaining. Is that not praying? And he's like, no. (laughs) In the Jewish culture, you would pray three times a day, as I told you, morning, afternoon, and evening. Your morning prayer, give us today our daily bread, was prayer for the day. Your evening prayer was prayer for the next. Because as evening and morning, there was the first day, as we read in Genesis, their days began in the evening. So he said, God, give us today our daily bread. And I know you're going to take care of it for tomorrow as well. Because that's the God that we serve. In fact, when he reveals himself, not only as Yahweh, not only as I am, not only as Jehovah, he reveals himself for the first time as Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Not Jehovah Rapha, your healer. Not Jehovah Nisi. No, he says, I'm beyond all of that. First, I need you to know that I am your provider. And I've got you covered. And this is so difficult for any of us that grew up in a life when we were younger with lack. Because we think, God, I want to pray this to you today, but there were times in my life when I didn't experience this. So God, I don't want to go back to what it used to be like. And so we spend a bunch of our time in work. We get second and third jobs, not because we need it, but because just in case. And God says, just focus on today. Because tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. That's literally what Jesus says. Not very helpful. Just focus on today. Tomorrow, I'm sure it's going to be wild, but mark is just today. And so I say, God, just today. And that word bread is not this idea of just physical food. It's also spiritual food. In fact, what does Jesus call himself? The bread of life. When Jesus is tempted, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. How many of you need a word over your circumstances right now? over your family, over your situation, over that job. Jesus says, just pray to God, your Father. Give us today our daily bread. In every area of our lives, let it change everything. I read a story about an orphanage when these kids were coming in that were living on the streets. This was during World War II when there was so many kids that were just fostered tragically by what was going on with the war. And this orphanage would bring these kids in who didn't know what it was like to have a meal, a full meal. And this orphanage was blessed with so much food. And so they were giving food to the kids. They were eating three times a day for the first time in months. And many of them for the first time ever in their lives. However, however, whenever it was time to go to bed, they would have difficulty falling asleep because they were worrying. Like you and I do. Someone had the bright idea. Give them a piece of bread at night and let them put it underneath their pillow because it can remind them that God provided today and he'll provide tomorrow too. Some of us need to put the bread right next to our nightstand because he provided today, he can provide tomorrow. And so when you wake up at two o'clock in the morning, I don't know why it's two o'clock for me, but that's when it is. I can look over and I say, you gave me what I needed for today. You can do it for tomorrow. Jesus goes on, okay, you've adored God as Father. You've put him high and lofty as hallowed and holy and set apart. You have said that you want his kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've asked him to provide your daily needs just for today. Don't worry about tomorrow, just focusing on today. And you believe that he's going to do it again tomorrow, just focus on today. You've already asked all of that. And also, I want you to ask your heavenly father who's waiting for you to, to ask him something so he can provide. Ask him to bring reconciliation into every heart. 
Reconciliation is this idea of ending of estrangement. Whenever there's been a disagreement or a wrongdoing, there's been separation. Uh, You see this in the house when uh, the spouses have a disagreement. Someone didn't take out the trash, typically us. Or, you know, you didn't put the dish where it needed to be, or you forgot that you made a plan, but you double-booked yourself. And then there's a little silence. And the only only word you say, this is it, excuse me. Get over to the kitchen. And then if they're in front of the cabinet, you don't even say a word, you just wait. (laughs) Finally, oh my, right? (laughs) Jesus says, I want you to end that broken relationship. Not only with others, but also with God. Everything should begin to change. Bring reconciliation. That's why he says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Whenever you see the word debt in scripture, it often means a loan that is justly due, something that you should pay, that you can pay, that you can't afford. However, when it's written here and it's written in Luke chapter 11, this word debt actually means a loan that is justly due that you cannot repay no matter how hard you tried. As I said before, Jesus died a death we should have died to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. So when you're saying, God, forgive me of my debts, remember we're praying every single day. Daily bread, daily forgiveness. Because I don't know about you, but I need forgiveness every single day. If you have perfect days, come and talk to me. How do you do it? You're probably just alone. Because when I'm sleeping, I am godly. (laughs) So godly. And even my dreams sometimes. So not all the time. But yeah, I'm pretty godly. But then I wake up and see people. (laughs) Right? That's That's the only thing wrong with the world, is people. And I'm one of them. So we say, God, there's this debt that I owe, that I can't pay. Would you forgive me? Because I need it. We need to implement daily confession into our lives to say, God, I've messed up. And so many of us bring in this bad theology that we experience in life, we bring it into our relationship with God. And we like to think that everyone else that offends us has to earn our forgiveness because we think that God somehow asked us to earn the forgiveness from him. Hey, I'll talk to people. Why don't you forgive that person? Well, they haven't earned it. And I say this, neither of you. With a smile on. But that's the reality. If we think that we have done something to earn God's forgiveness, you're going to think that other people have to earn forgiveness from you. What if we were more like God when people offended us? Do you know what? They must be going through something. God, teach me how to forgive that person. It's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking a poison and believing the other person to die. And forgiveness is like setting a prisoner free and realizing that prisoner was you. What if we walked in forgiveness? Imagine how the world would look more and more like heaven if it was a more forgiving and life-transforming world. Imagine when we go to God, we think this way. God, I messed up again. I was driving down the road and uh, someone cut me off. And here's what I do. This is a true story. Uh, When people cut me off, I clap for them. I go, yay, you're so important. So if I've ever done that to you, I'm sorry. God forgive me. I really do. Nikki doesn't like it. Nikki, and I'm trying to work on it, but it's just like, it's just innate. It happens and I go, yay, and I change lanes, yay. It's not good. It's not good. I have a new break license plate, praise God. I just tell them, uh, my name is Jared Johnson. I'm from the Scripps campus. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, but, but we do that. We do that. Or, or maybe, and I'll say, God, would you forgive me? That was wrong. 
Or maybe you're like, God, someone cut me off and I just wanted to point to you and show them that they're number one. So I gave them a, a finger of just love and justice, God. <laughs> and we think this is how God hears it. He goes, oh, wow. Forgiveness. Uh, Michael, Michael, bring over the, uh, yeah, bring the file cabinet for Marcus. <laughs> All of the sins and mistakes. And he goes, no, not that. Oh, there we go. Uh, Marcus, you prayed for forgiveness for that 974 times, and that was just yesterday. So, I'll forgive you this time, but 975, file cabinet closed. We think that's what God does. And so we do that with other people. I'm not going to forgive them again. We think God will do it to us. But the truth is, when we go to God, our Heavenly Father, for forgiveness, say, God, I messed up, and it's probably in your file cabinet. He goes, let me open up my file. Loved, forgiven, and righteous. Yeah, you're fine, buddy. Well, no, God, I mean, I'm asking again. I mean, it's in the past 30 minutes. I just... Loved, forgiven, and righteous. What if that's the way we taught our kids to forgive? What if that's the way we taught our friends to forgive? Love them, forgive them, and pray that they would become righteous, made right in the eyes of God. If we have a problem forgiving others, it's often because we have a problem allowing us to forgive ourselves and receiving the forgiveness from God. God has already forgiven you. Already. And so when you go to him and say, God, would you forgive me? He says, yes, of course. Now let's go through the process of learning to forgive ourselves. And maybe that's asking him to guide our steps as we do it. Because I don't know if you're like me, sometimes I get off on the wrong track and start walking in the wrong direction. Or maybe you need a GPS even when you're just going home because you need directions for everything. Remember I was in the state cup for soccer. Our club team went to state cup, which is like the highest you can go in the state. And it was awesome. We were excited. Ball comes my way while we're on the field. I dribble down the field. Boom, knocking in the goal. I'm screaming, jumping up and down. Everything is good. I turn around. No one's excited. Wrong goal. In overtime, one to one, we lost the game two to one because I scored the point on the wrong team. Sometimes some of us are shooting for the wrong goal. And we need to be praying, God, lead us not into temptation. Lead us towards you and deliver us from the evil one. And this word temptation, God, lead us not into temptation, can really be difficult for us to understand because maybe you think of the book of James uh, where it says, uh, don't lead us into, uh, God doesn't lead us into temptation. God doesn't tempt. The truth is the enemy tempts Jesus. God, he tests us. And the testing is to prove who we worship. Here is all of this opportunity for you. Looks really, really fancy. Looks amazing. And here am I. Sturdy. Always here for you. Who will you trust? That's the test. He doesn't tempt us. Temptation comes from the enemy. And why does he tempt us? Because he wants us to fail the test. He wants to tempt us with what something that he thinks is going to be better and that we think is going to be better. And we fall into temptation. We say yes to temptation or you dive into temptation and then you're stuck there. And the enemy says, the best thing I can do is make you as a believer think that you are worse than you absolutely are. That you are too bad for a holy, loving God. And to make you think that prayer does nothing. See, God wants to bring us into a life that is so much better than you could ever imagine. Heaven truly on earth. 
He says, I want to offer two things to you. What the earth has to offer, as we read, as Jesus said, or what heaven has to offer. You choose. My prayer is we choose heaven every single day. This is why we pray this. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, I don't want to be there again. Maybe that means you need to run. You might need to run. If you're taking notes, Genesis 39, 12. Genesis 39, 12. Genesis 39, 12. Joshua is at Potiphar's house. Potiphar was uh, this great kind of like ruler in this certain area. Potiphar had a wife. Potiphar's wife would walk up to Joshua and say, hey, sleep with me. And he was like, uh-uh, lady. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And she kept saying it and tried to make passes. And he just, nope. I can imagine him just not even want to lock eyes with her. And then one day she grabs his cloak that he's wearing. Genesis 39, 12 says, he ran. And his cloak was still in her hand. My man ran naked. Didn't even matter. He just booked it. Some of us just need to run. Genesis 39, 12. You shouldn't have that meeting alone in a room. Some of us need to run. You need to stop liking that post. And the things that you're hiding from your spouse, you need to share it with them. Some of us need to run. Some of us can't be in a car with the opposite sex because we just need to run. Some of us can't be in a car with other people because we just need to run. Some of us have to be in a place where I can't look at all of this money. I just need to run from it. Lead me not to temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. And so we're going to practice prayer this week. At noon, every single day, I want to invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer. Or maybe you grew up hearing it, Our Father. Pray that. Probably better called the disciples' prayer. Jesus is praying. Do you know what he's praying? For you. He's interceding on your behalf right now. But let this be our prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to pray this together. And let it be something that we'd only just say today, but let it be something that we believe. If you would just stand with me where you're at. Maybe you're in the room today and you're in desperate need of prayer. Maybe it's just in your row. Maybe it's for your family. We're going to pray this together out loud in just a moment. But as we pray it out loud, let it also be over your family and over your home. And then as Pastor Nate leads us one more time in that song, maybe begin to lift up the places in your home. Your family, your co-workers, your neighborhood, your job that heaven would come. Let's pray this out loud together on the count of three. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, we love you and we thank you. And as we worship and as we ask your kingdom to come heaven on earth, let it begin to transform us. Let our lives be changed. And for those of us that need prayer, let this time be a moment of receiving. For those of us that have things to pray for, let it be a time of offering, adoration, and petition at this moment. We need you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.